Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Matthew chapter 5. Now Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The sermon title is Good Luck, because when you hear that text, well, good luck. Amen? In fact, this is one text that is read in the church here that has absolutely no gospel. There is absolutely no good news in what I just read to you. But what we should also take note is that what I just read to you is exactly word for word the red letters of Jesus' own words. So before we start thinking to ourselves, by golly, deep down inside, I'm going to come up with a better solution to everything that was just said because I need to be righteous in God's eyes. I need to make it right. You know, I, I, I think we've been through these moments. The truth is, Jesus is giving you God's law. Fully and through, and there is no negotiating it. The truth is, as we live our lives with this assumption that we have free will. Amen? In fact, we go all the way back to our theological days in which your Sunday school brought you all the theology you ever needed to know. No, we did not. When we go back to those moments and we talk about that creation story and God gave Adam and Eve, he gave them free will. He gave them the ability to choose. He did do that. We have will. You have the choice to come to church this morning. Amen? 
You had the choice to grab one of those caramel rolls there in the narthex, whether you wanted to or not. Amen? Actually, now there's a great example of where that wheel starts to break down, right? I looked at Thelma. I said, Thelma, you get to make these every single day at work. You must have incredible willpower to be able to say no, because at the end of the day, it's a choice whether it goes in your mouth, right? But the truth be told is we are bound to our sin. We're going to step away from the caramel rolls for a minute because we go deeper with this text. We are bound to our sins. When Jesus says, when he reminds us of the law in those opening words of this part of chapter 5, he says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Whew! I haven't murdered anyone yet, so I'm still good, Jesus. I'm still good, right? But we are bound to our will. We are bound to our sinful nature. We are bound to that absolute primal nature deep down within. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts this week, and the authors, they're going back and forth, and they're talking about parsing out these laws, and they're talking about, yeah, okay, the murder one, 99.9% of the people in our congregation are going to be good with that one. However, when we go back to our impulses, even in the beginning of our parenting days, there's this great example that I know Carmen and I, specifically myself, could completely resonate with. I remember in our early uh, birthing classes when uh, Carmen was pregnant with Elise, our first daughter, they were talking about how there's going to be a point in time in which you have to remember that you do not shake the child, right? And as these podcast guys were talking, I was completely locked in. I had the exact same thought. Why on God's green earth would you ever shake your baby, right? Until you have colic. The child has colic. Our daughter, Ellie, had colic for a very long time. And it's talking about nights on end, hour after hour. You could set your watch. 6.45 p.m. till 2 a.m. would be nonstop, like jaw-quivering crying over and over again. How would you dare not shake your child? You would never shake your child, right? But I also remember in those early weeks and those first appointments, I remember the doctor flat out saying, do you have any anxious thoughts towards your child? Do you have anger that seems to be unchecked? Are you doing okay? And I found myself thinking, why are you asking these questions? And then we realized why when that midnight hour would come around, Carmen, who had a much more calmer demeanor, would hold Ellie and I would walk the dog for hours on end, right? We ask ourselves, thou shalt not murder, who would ever shake their child until you meet the person in prison who's done it? It's that guttural sin that we're bound to. Walking with combat veterans, a few of my dear friends who have had to make that ultimate decision, that life-changing decision in the heat of battle, to ask and to navigate, to process the language, to hear the justification, to hear the story, to try to make sense of it, that something, that guttural feeling none of us, very few of us, could ever really empathize with, and to give grace and mercy into that conversation. Again, it's a reminder of that bound to our sin nature that we have. But of course, Jesus takes it further. He doesn't just talk about murder, right? 
In fact, he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother and his, or, or sister is subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is answerable in the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, who of us has never chastised or talked ill of a brother or sister behind their backs or to their face? Amen? And the law says that when we are in that broken relationship, when we respond in such a manner, we are, condemn, we are condemned to hell. Now, I know you'd like me to soften the words. You'd like me to sugarcoat the gospel. I'm just reading to you what Jesus says. He goes on, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, leave that gift. Don't even think you have the right or the ability to come to the altar. Don't even think that you have the ability to correct it yourself with your proper sacrifice or your offerings. You need to leave that at the door and go solve your problems first. Make an attempt at righteousness with your neighbor before you ever enter into God's house, is what Jesus is saying. Yet how many of us are sitting here today and have broken relationships on the outside of the, door, outside of the doors that we did not check as we came in. Amen? We've been there. We do that. It's, again, we are bound to our sin. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's why you should never go to the beach. <laughs> Don't ever go to the beach. Carmen wants us to go to the beach again in April. Don't go to the beach. Don't go to the beach. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's easy for us to chuckle when I say we shouldn't go to the beach but I know for a fact that there are people all throughout our community that are profoundly addicted to pornography, profoundly addicted to inappropriate relationships with other coworkers or people in their midst. How do I know this? Because I'm dear friends with our therapists in this community. I'm dear friends with other, uh, other professionals that have to navigate these cases and these conflicts with families and individuals. Just found out yesterday that we passed a bill in the state that actually you have to have a digital footprint to be able to acknowledge that you are of appropriate age to log on to what we call pornographic websites. I would say that's not even close to being enough, but at least it's a boundary of sorts, right? There's a nine-year-old in our community that is addicted, so profoundly addicted that has to look at it for at least an hour a day to feel better about themselves. A nine-year-old. But we chuckle and say that if your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. Oh, uh, that's, just, that's, that's just hyperbole, Jesus. And Jesus is bold in that. But that was a law once upon a time. What Jesus is getting at is that as we are bound to our sin, no matter how hard we try to make ourselves righteous, 
no matter how much we try to make ourselves right with God, we're always still attached to that sin. As Jesus goes on further and he talks about divorce, the subject of divorce, every single congregation in our culture has families that empathize with that subject of divorce. The reason why Jesus is reminding us that we are bound to our sin is no matter what, even if you enter into the perfect, best relationship beyond that original divorce, whether we like it or not, we're still attached emotionally. And sometimes even physically, as we still negotiate the holidays. Especially if we had children, negotiating mixed families is difficult work. Amen? Amen. And no matter how hard we try, we're still bound to our sin in the midst of all of it. In the midst of all of it. And in our response in our response to this bound conscience of our sin, we take it a step further as a culture. I was reading a phenomenal book recently, and it talks about how we in America are now three full generations away from, or separated from genuine nationwide suffering. To anyone who has loved ones or they themselves maybe are old enough to go back to the days of the Korean War and World War II, we as a nation are three full generations removed from genuine nationwide suffering. And that is an absolute blessing. And I would never wish, that, or wish, wish suffering upon us, but what I have observed time and time again is we, bound to our sin, create our own suffering. Amen? We create our own suffering. We create our own polarization. We make up our own arguments about absolutely everything. We are genuinely, legitimately in an identity crisis as a culture. We're in an identity crisis about what it means to be successful. We are in an identity crisis as to mean what it means to be right and what it means to be wrong. We are in a political identity crisis. We are in a medical identity crisis. We are in a sexual identity crisis. Every single aspect of our being is attached to our bound conscience to sin. And that's why we have such movements whether we want to call it social justice, civil justice, unrest, whatever we want to call it, we have movements. And we justify every single movement saying that we are right, saying that we are peaceful, saying that we are correct and you are wrong. I don't care who you are. Every time we draw that line in the sand of this is what it means to be righteous and that is what it means to be unrighteous, this is what it means to be oppressed and this is what it means to be the oppressor, anytime we draw that line in the sand, we are wrong. Both sides of the argument are wrong. Why? Because each of those responses are bound to our what? To our sin. And that is why we go back to the context of what Jesus is saying this morning. Chapters 5 and 6 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This whole section started two weeks ago. It started as they gathered on the hillside. Thousands of people gathered to hear Jesus give his public sermon. And of course, he starts that sermon with the Beatitudes. Blessed are they. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. All those things that for many of the people on that hillside could identify with, and the rest of us, if we can't identify with it, by golly, we're going to try to make the correction. I'm going to be a meek and lowly person. Amen? No, you're not. 
No, you're not. Because that is a humility most of us can never truly enter into. And then he took it a step further last week. Uh, Jay Mickelson, I heard, did a fine job in reminding us what it means to be the salt of the earth. And Jesus brings in that salt of the earth. He's talking to the people on the hillside and he's saying, as you hear my truth, as you hear my word given to you, that truth sets you free. That truth makes you salt. And that saltiness needs to be shared amongst all that encounter you. You are also a light that is put on a lampstand, not hidden under a basket. If you have the truth and you are the light that others uh, see, that means you are bringing them out of the darkness. You are shining light into their darkness. You cannot be hidden under a basket. Jesus takes it further and he says, if you are a city, you are not only just a city, you're a city on the hill. Literally on that Sermon on the Mount, he is turning those people into the city that everyone else is going to witness. And that witness is going to be truth rooted in what Jesus is telling them. You are not hidden in some valley, you are a city on a hill. And Jesus looks at his disciples as he finishes the sermon and he brings all of God's wrath and law down upon him which is why you have no gospel at all in today's reading. But we good old Lutherans need to end with an ounce of gospel. Amen? It's about the context. We are bound to our sins. God intended in his creation for you to be free. He intended in his creation for you to have free ability to make the choices and that your choices would always be righteous ones. But due to the fall of man, due to sin of the world, due to that moment in the Garden of Eden, every choice that we make is bound by our sin. Even on the best of days, even the most righteous, best, well-intended decision we make is still connected to the brokenness of who we are. And because of that, Jesus takes on a very unique role. Jesus is not just the police officer. He's not just the jury. He's not just the judge. He's not just the executioner. He's all of the above. All put together. He is the representation of a, of a system that we'll never understand. We as the sinners, we as the broken, we who are bound to our sin, we are dragged out into the courtyard, we are on bended knees, sitting in the mud, and the king of all kings is there with his sword removed from his sheath and his sword at the base of our neck, and he looks at each and every one of us and he says, I love you. I love you, and he puts that sword back in his sheath. And he helps you out of the mud. He helps us out of the mud. He puts the sword away and he says, instead of death, today I invite you to the table. You're going to come inside of the castle. You're going to sit down at that table and you are welcome to the meal. If you actually enter into that mindset and imagine what that moment might be like, I imagine when you enter that table, into that room, into that banquet, you walk away absolutely changed. Amen? And that is the misconception of Christ that we have today. We absolutely walk away changed when we encounter Christ. Let us actually be detached from that bondage to our sin. Let us for a moment set the sin aside and say, 
Good Lord, thank you for inviting me to that table. You have to go back into Scripture. Every single encounter that Jesus has with every single character in that Scripture walks away changed. They do not walk away subjective, or being subjective to God's law. They do not walk away saying, that's nice, Jesus accepted me, he took me out of the dirt, and everything is well, and I can go back to my life. The prostitute did not walk back down to the corner after encountering Jesus, amen? The thief did not go back to thievery after encountering Jesus, amen? Every single person that Christ is encounters walks away change. And yes, they're still bound to their sin, but yes, they make every single attempt to live life in response to just having been invited into that banquet to eat with the king who saved them. So how do we live in response to that? You do not have the ability to drag someone out into the mud and take the sword, put it at their neck, and put it away. You do not have the ability to save others. But you do have the ability to share with them how your life has been changed and invite them to the banquet as well. The king leaves that door wide open for each of us to enter in the gates. And all we can do is invite them to the banquet where we are reminded that we have a life that is loved, a life that is changed, a life that is forgiven. Next week, we go up to the hill in which Jesus is transformed on that Transfiguration Sunday, and that is what begins our Lenten journey. It makes sense that Christ brings us to our knees with a sermon as we enter into Lent, the season of self-reflection, the season of repentance, the season of change, the season of the cross. So brothers and sisters in Christ, Come off your knees, come into the banquet, sit down at the feast, and walk away knowing that you are changed because of Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.